This is the true story of a New York City boy with big town hopes and small neighborhood dreams of becoming BFFs with the Real Housewives and other Bravo celebrities. Then, one day, that dream actually came true. Let me take you behind the velvet rope. Hey everyone, this is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the one and only Mr. Troy Roberts. Hey David. What's going on? Well, I'm here in uh, Tribeca um, with my son, 22-year-old son who's doing remote um, from his, uh, from college. And um, and two dogs, and it's been it's been a test. Um, I tried helping him, but uh, he informed me that I went to UC Berkeley in the late 1900s, and so I don't know much about modern day. And so we have been uh, trying to get through this, and we haven't killed each other yet. But uh, are you, is there any part of you that has, you know, adjusted and like loving? Because I have like a, you know, like we were just talking before I went on air. I used to be, you know, the boy that was out like seven nights a week. I needed my martini. And like, there's a part of me that's like loving this being at home. I mean, I'm not loving what's going on in the world, but I've really adjusted to like, okay, today's another day where I'm just not going to leave the house. um, You know, the phrase, there's no place like home. Yeah. Not true. You're ready to get Not out true. and about. Yeah. No, I I moved to New York City because I like people. I like the energy. I know. Um, I, I enjoyed the theater. I enjoy going out occasionally to bars. Um, I miss the, you know, like Alan Cummings' great place in the East Village. That oh, was fun. Which was Club Cumming. So yeah, good. Yeah, it was a small, it was a small place. And I can't imagine that, you know, that would be a place that we can go to anytime soon. But no, um, yeah, the, the, the phrase, there's no place like home is a lie. <laughs> I get it. Well, you know what it is? I should rephrase that. Like I've said this before, like if I didn't have this job and I wasn't doing this all day, yes, I would be like, I can't imagine like this podcast and this job have like basically saved me from, I don't even know what. Well, you know, my, my show killer motive saved me um, because we were supposed to start shooting last March. And of course all hell broke loose. And so it was pushed to July and we started working, sh- shooting 10 episodes. And so I was flying all around the country um, working. And uh, it was extremely challenging. We had, you know, we followed all the safety protocols. Right. But it was, you know, at least I was moving and, and doing what I love to do. But it was... Um, it, it was challenging, you know, when, when you arrive on, on set and you're escorted, you know, you, the temperature is taken and you're escorted to a room and you, you sit in a room 
and you're brought to set uh, when your interview subject arrives and everyone's masked up and I, I take off my mask for the interview and after I finish the interview, I'm taken back to my room. And so um, it was kind of isolating in a way. And you know what I enjoy a lot is getting to know the crew and after a, a long day of shooting to have dinner and drinks with the crew and getting to know them and that didn't happen. So there was that, that kind of like isolation so, um, I mean, so many people have, have, have suffered greatly. And so I, I feel kind of strange even saying that that was a problem. But uh, for me, uh, just the isolation. But um, it, was, uh, it, it was a challenging but rewarding experience. I get it. I'm such a social person. Like, people were taking bets against me when this whole thing started. I'm like, listen, it's a global pandemic. Like I know how to follow the rules, but it's great to know that I have a group of friends where, you know, I was the one that everyone's money was against because I'm a totally very social person too. Mm -hmm. How did you get involved with Killer Motive for Oxygen? How did that come about? Well, I, uh, I was working with NBC uh, on a Dateline um, show I, uh, for some reason, I, I, I had this hunch that, that there was something interesting about the John Hinckley Jr. story, um, and who, who attempted to assassinate Ronald Reagan. It's, right. it's weird how things come to me, but, um, I, I, uh, hired a researcher to do the story, um, and he uh, went down to Washington, D.C. and uncovered the diaries that John Hinckley uh, kept from the time he was arrested that night uh, for attempting to kill uh, President Reagan through the end of, uh, of the trial where he was found not guilty by reason of insanity. And it, I... I <laughs> I, I started thinking about him because I, I, I grew up in Los Angeles and when I, uh, when I took the SATs, um, I, I sat next to Jodie Foster, who went to Le Lycée Francais, a super smart and talented actress, and she was the first person to finish. And I started thinking about that after I dropped my son off to take his SATs and I gave him the usual drill. Don't worry if someone finishes before you, blah, blah, blah. And I started like rewinding like my experience. And so I started thinking about John Hinckley, who, who's free now and living in Virginia with his mother and so I, I brought this idea. It's, it's so funny how I work. My mind works. I have like nuggets of ideas and I start fleshing them out. And so I, I took it to uh, David Corvo, who's the head of Dateline, and we started kicking around ideas. And then we, I ended up at uh, Peacock Productions after I did the John Hinckley story. And then I started working with Rod Issa and 
and uh, Stephanie Steele at NBC to kick around ideas uh, for a show. So it's it's kind of funny how television works. It's like you know you you begin with a nugget of an idea and you move it forward, and you know development is so hard. My my uh, friend producer Liza Persky warned me that development is like planning a big trip you're never going to take, and so you know you have some great ideas and you push forward. And some, like, you know, fall by the wayside, others land. And that's the chance you take. Uh, totally. You know, I mean, you, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, you know, you think you have a great idea and then it moves forward and it falls back. And, uh, you know, you, you go into, I don't know what production meetings are kind of funny now because it's all over Zoom and, but you know, you, you go into a room and you pitch an idea, and and then they say, you know, what's working for us right now is a dermatologist who pops pimples, right? And they say, like, well, what you got? And I go, well, I have nothing like in that vein, or the uh, you know, I I have an orthopedist. You know, what's working for us is an orthopedist who works on jacked up feet. You know, it's right. like. And, and you go like I, I have I I have nothing for you. So um, and anyway, I I I'm very happy to have landed um, with the folks at Oxygen. Uh, they're smart, they're empathetic, and 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 uh, I love them. So basically, you're telling me that if you weren't sitting next to Jodie Foster when you took that. SATs, we may not have killer motive on oxygen right now today. Well, in a windy way. I mean, listen, there's worse things than, I mean, how are you able to concentrate on the SATs? Like, I mean, Jodie Foster, I'm a huge Jodie Foster fan. And yeah, she's brilliant. So I'm I'm sure she was the first one that was finished. She was the first person who finished. That does not shock me. (laughs) Incredible, uh, talented uh, woman. Um, but you know, it was so weird, you know, I grew up in Los Angeles, uh, and I dabbled in bad televisions. And so there was, um, you know, it was kind of like a weird world where, you know, like Helen Hunt went to my school and that's actually why I started dabbling in television because Helen Hunt, uh, she was a grade below me. And she she got a job on the Swiss Family Robinson. Mm. And I remember watching that show because, like, Helen disappeared for months on end. I was like, where's Helen? Where's Helen? Well, she's working on Swiss Family Robinson. And I looked at the show, and I saw the set, and I went to my – I said to myself, I want to do that. I mean, that's cool. Look at that set that she's working on. And so that's how I uh, jumped into TV. I, I sent my own eight by tens out to every agency, and I was I, I I wanted to get into to television. And I think I turned uh, thirteen. I landed the job on. I mean, I did commercials first, but I landed a job on Six Million Dollar Man. Um, when I turned thirteen, uh, shooting that. 
And wow. I looked, I mean, and I did like, you know, after school specials and I ate a lot of hamburgers and spit them out off camera and spit buckets. And that's how I started. Wow. But, um, what, what was Helen Hunt like as a high school student? She, well, you know, she just like Jody, very determined and focused. Um, and, and clearly talented. Uh, you know, you, you recognize people that are focused and talented and have their stuff together. Totally. And, and you know, I, I think child actors get a, a bad rap, but, you know, what I learned, and I mean, I wasn't great, but I worked. But um, I, I learned about discipline, showing up on time, knowing my lines, knowing how to hit the mark, how to, how to work successfully with adults. And I, I think it, uh, it served me well. And when I got to college, I wanted to marry that skill of learning on-camera work with writing, which was my passion. And so that's, that's what I, uh, I did at school. Were you, what attracted you? And like, will you talk about the, you came up with the idea for Killer Motive. I mean, was it just, like you said, like John Hinckley, the fact that, you know, like this is a true crime. There's so many true crime shows out there, but this really focuses on kind of like the psychology and really the motive behind someone's actions. Is that really what attracted you? And like, oh, wait, we really haven't seen this in a crime show before. A true crime show. You know what's always attracted me because there's there's so much content out there is something that's unique, a story that hasn't been told before, which is so hard. I mean, right. when I when I grew up in the in the business, we had three channels. Yeah, and I, I worked at Forty Eight Hours for nineteen years. I was at CBS for twenty six, and there was nothing else like it. And then 2020 uh, started doing more true crime and then Dateline. And my desire is to tell stories that haven't been told before. And it's really, really challenging. It is. I'm struggling now uh, trying to find stories that haven't been told before. Are you involved? I mean, how involved are you in, you know, choosing the cases that we see? You know, I mean, these are like gruesome cases. Like, are you involved in like saying, you know, pass or no? Like, or do you have a say in kind of what's chosen? Yes, there, there's a discussion. I mean, there's a planning unit and there's a discussion of what works and what doesn't. It, it, you know, you read something on paper, you go, wow, this is an unbelievable story, but you also have to understand whether there is picture to cover it. It's not, you know, like I don't work for newspaper. It's like, is there a picture to cover it? Are the people willing to talk? Can they talk well? Um, There's so many different factors in, in, in booking a story. And so it's, uh, you know, so many times you go out in the field and you go, gosh, this is a great newspaper story, but it's not a great 
television story. And, that makes sense. You know? What about, you know, like through everything you've seen through this show, like is there one case, you know, like through the season one, now we're in season two, like is there one case that kind of stands out as like, wow, you know what I mean? Just like the most insane or sick, like however you want to refer to it. I mean, I know they're all kind of out there, but like, is there one that stands out to you? You know, you know, it's what's difficult is that um, I, I parachute into people's lives when they're broken. Right. And they're kind enough to open their doors and open up their hearts um, and, and talk to me. And so it's like, I'm not going through it. They are. And so you're there and, and, and you shoot the story and you bring crew and lights and cameras and they are so kind to tell their story. And then at the end of the day, when you say goodbye, you can't fix it, you know? Um, right. As a human being, as a human being, wanna want to make them feel better. You can't do that. So um, I, I did a story last year on uh, Savannah Graywind. This is a 19-year-old uh, girl who's pregnant, nine months pregnant, and she went upstairs in her apartment complex to help this woman who killed her and did a crude cesarean section on her and took the baby. It was a fetal abduction and they put her body um, and hauled out a bureau and tossed into a river. And wow. I had to, I mean, the baby survived. I got to meet the baby, but I just remember um, meeting her parents and her father, I mean, he, she was daddy's little girl. I, I, I mean, just, I could just see, even like, you know, a year had passed and I could see that this man was so tortured. And, and you want to, what do you say? Right. Okay. I mean, there's how nothing. Do you, how, do you make, how do you make someone feel better? That's the hard part of the job. And again, I'm not going through it. It's not, not me. Right. But, um, that's, those are the moments that stay with you. Do you ever find it where, you know, because I imagine you provide some relief, you know, like that's not your job, but just by being there, do you ever find that people then... I don't know if overstep is the right word, but you know, just that they feel comfort in you. And then the next thing you know, you know, like they want to keep in touch with you. Like you kind of have given them a moment to tell their story. Like, I think that's a fine line sometimes that could be blurred. I think for some people it's cathartic. Right. To just get it out there, to just right. release it. And I, I think, you know, they want to do something to help memorialize their lost loved one. And they want to make, sh hopefully, try to find justice. Um, 
I'm not quite sure the motivation for all of them, um, but I, I am grateful that they want to to tell their stories and in a, in a way that's not sensationalized, that's accurate, and it's a uh, it's it's challenging for me and, and I. I guess the way I get through it is like compartmentalize right. um, a, a lot of it. Um, but, you know, I, I still stay in touch with a lot of people. Um, you know, it's so, it's so interesting. I was thinking earlier that, you know, I, I was the first person to get uh, Robert Chambers, the preppy killer, his oh, wow. interview when he was released from prison and um... discover why critics are calling kingdom of the planet of the apes the best film of the franchise what a wonderful day it's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible i need to go hang on it is our time kingdom of the planet of the apes now playing only in theaters rated pg-13 some material may be inappropriate for children under 13 i spent a lot of time we we flew him from prison we flew him on a private plane to uh to outside of washington dc at a hotel and i spent a lot of time with robert and his family and and uh he got into trouble again. He was, his, you know, he has his substance abuse issues. Right. And landed back in prison. But um, I, I bonded with his mother. And for four, yeah, I think four Christmas Eves, we, we spent, I spent that with his mother and my son and friends. Um, wow. Mrs. Chambers is was, was a lovely woman. And uh, we fell out of touch recently. Um, but um, those are the kind of relationships that you keep, you know? What about, because, you know, you've seen, I mean, the things we see on this show, Killer Motive, it, like, does anything shock you? You know, you did this before, like, for CBS, you know, morning news, evening news, 48 hours, like you said, like, are you the type that you still get shocked at? what people are capable of or no, you're just, you've kind of seen it all and none of it shocks you anymore. I guess for me, and I, and I think for our viewers and and people that are interested in, in the true crime space is that how normal the killers are. They're not frothing at the mouth. Their eyes aren't spinning in their heads. And so, you know, I, I, I've met and shaken hands and eaten with cold-blooded killers, and that could be the person sitting next to you on the subway or the bus. Right. And I, I think for me, that's chilling. You know, you're given all this information about this person you're about to interview, and they are cold blooded killers but they look like you and me and i wouldn't be able to identify them as sociopaths or psychopaths if i pass them on the street and i think that's what's chilling for me 
that you don't know. Yeah, that is chilling. Yeah, Yeah, completely. What about, you know, because you mentioned you eat dinner and you meet these people, you fly them out on planes. Like, have you, you know, I have to think that one-on-one when you're, you know, doing your job and getting to know these people, I imagine like how hard or easy is it for you to see like a human side to them? You know, like you get to know someone, you hear their story, like, do you find that or no, it's just, that's not your job, just remain neutral. I think a common question I ask is, what happened? Why are you here? When you meet someone in prison, convicted of savage crimes, you, you always, at least I do, ask, like, why? What, what happened in your past? What, what was it? And I ask that, that question frequently because I'm curious, because, you know, I, I've met people that are educated and grow up in decent homes, and they just somehow lose their way. And I, I, I find that... Um, interesting in the storytelling I, I think that's what's part of this that's what's interesting about the series is it's not so much about the savage act of killing right. someone it's about the journey on what what drove someone to murder why yeah that's why i find this show so interesting also i mean like it's in the title it really focuses on the motive yeah do you find that there's a common theme among, you know, because like, look, there's different motives for everything, like passion, greed, vengeance, jealousy. Do you find when you ask why of these people that have, conv- you know, have, con- have committed these heinous crimes, like is there one thing like overarching theme that is always usually the answer or part of the story of why? Um, I would say greed. Greed and, and jealousy. It, it's amazing how cheap someone's life is uh, to someone who's desperate. I mean, it, it's incredible that people are murdered over nothing, like no money. Right. And also vengeance, too. And, you know, what's also incredible is that uh, the steps people take to carry out murders. I, I, you know, I have a show coming up uh, next Saturday on uh, Caitlin Conley. She's 19 years old and sentenced to 23, 23 years for the death of her ex-boyfriend's mother. And she was on and off with her boyfriend. I mean, it was like, you know, to me... It's like a kid's kind of like nonsense where, you know, you're fighting with your boyfriend, you're back together. And she wanted to hurt him. And she researched, uh, she cr- created a, an email and, and her boyfriend's name and researched a poison and bought a poison and, and killed the boyfriend's six-year-old mother by putting poison in a shake of hers. And 
she she was there at the funeral and it was just insane to me and and she you know this 19 year old girl who uh actually found out the 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 boyfriend's mother's weight so she could make sure that she put in the exact amount of poison in the shake to kill her this is 19 yeah i mean it was insane to me it was that's I mean, to go to those lengths to carry out this kind of murder, I mean, and and again, at such a young age. So what about, you know, like taking it a step further when you ask, like, you know, like you mentioned, like a lot of these people are from good families, you know, like when you ask, like, what, like what happened? You know what I mean? Like, do you get a common answer with that? Like, almost like what went wrong in life? You know what I mean? Like, is it a psychotic break? Is it like what, you know, like do people say, yeah, I just had a bad day, you know what I mean? Or is it much <laughs> deeper? I mean, really, because like, you know, we all have moments. I mean, I think COVID and the world and everything now, like people are on edge, but they're not going out, you know, and committing these heinous crimes. Like, do you see a trend when people are like, yeah, this is kind of what led me to this after, you know, a normal upbringing, so to speak? I wish I could say there was a universal answer to that question. I, I, I don't know. It's, um, you know, everyone has their own stories to tell about how, why they're damaged. Um, it's, it's perplexing to me. And I think that's why people that are interested in true crime watch because there's no answer to it, you know? Um, I, I, I think people are, people are suffering from mental illness and not getting treatment. And oftentimes there isn't treatment available. You can't treat uh, many psychopaths and sociopaths. Right. Uh, and it's... Um, the thing is, it's a mystery, and I think that's what keeps people glued to their seats. I would think so, too. What about, I mean, I have friends that like are addicted to these shows, and this is all they watch night and day. What about, do you feel, because maybe this is just me, it's, you've studied it way more than me, but I joke all the time that like I think in 2021, like, okay, fine, not everyone wants to go kill someone, but like... I just feel like the digital footprint is everywhere these days. Like you can't get away with anything. I mean, is that true? Or do you find, you know, having studied this, like, do people get away with these things? Like, do you do a lot of like the unsolved things or do you find most of these cases are ultimately solved? Cause I just assume they're all solved just because of, you know, you, you watch these shows and you're like, God, well, that's like the most minute thing. And that's what led them to the killer. Well, for our show, it's the cases are all adjudicated. Right. They're not um, unsolved mysteries. Right. But actually, David, that might be an idea. I'm just, yeah, I'm just, I'm just here to help. To reboot unsolved mysteries. I'm just Um, here to, you know, because I mean, yeah, like I know that because I've watched your show, like everything is solved. 
Yeah. I just feel like, you know, just because I know you've interviewed a lot of different people like throughout your time at like CBS and 48 Hours. I don't know. I just assume in today's day and age, like everything seems to be. Are you ever amazed at the cases like when you dive into them? You know, like you and I are not in law enforcement or any like special bureau, but like, man, like the people that are like, they're just, they solve I and mean, everything you have you get caught. Like, are you ever amazed at like just how, I don't know if dumb is the right word, but you know, like you look at people who make like one stupid mistake and that was how they were caught. Well, you know what, what's interesting is that I, I find this in metropolises and small little towns is that many of the killers think they're smarter than the investigators. Right. And that arrogance leads many of them to their downfall um, and prosecution. It's, it's, I, I find that a common thing. Right. That there are people who watch uh, dramatized movies and television shows on how to get away with murder, and they don't. And, they don't know what they're doing and they, they, and they're incredibly arrogant and believe they're going to outsmart the investigators. And in many cases, that's not true. So I, I, particularly in this season, that seems to be the running theme is that the sociopaths or psychopaths can, can be overconfident and believe that they're smarter than the investigators, even in small towns. Um, it, I, I did a story, I was in small town, Snellville, Georgia, where this uh, woman killed her daughter-in-law who was involved in a nasty cussing dispute with her son. And the mother thought that the daughter-in-law was going to take full custody of her grandchild. And she donned a wig and a mustache, this tiny woman, and killed her daughter-in-law in the parking lot um, with the child in the car and thought she was going to get away with it. Wow. And um, it was just so ridiculous. And you know, she was busted. But I was looking at the uh, police interviews and she was so arrogant and believed she was going to outsmart the detectives and she kept on burying herself every time she opened her mouth. So it's like, I, I think that trips people up, the arrogance. Uh, that makes sense to me, and especially like right when you get into like the definition of like a sociopath or right, there is that arrogance. What about why do you think a show like Killer Motive is so popular? Like, is it, you know, just people's fascination with not being able to look away from a train wreck? Does it make people feel some comfort, like watching and seeing how, I, I, I'm not sure, I'm not, why? I, I, I think it goes to the title. It's 
that's the, the question is why? And that's the question I've asked many killers is why? Why are you here? You know, over 5,000 bucks, you're going to kill someone? Over a right. custody dispute, you're going to kill someone? Uh, um, I, 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 I don't know how people lose their way where they believe that the only answer is murder. And, I mean, there are crimes of passion, of course, um, but many of our cases are deliberate, uh, well thought out. Um, This isn't someone who gets into an argument. Most of our stories are not about someone who gets into an argument at a bar and, like, grabs a gun or takes a beer bottle and kills someone. These are... These are crimes that are carefully thought out and planned. And uh, I I would say the majority of the cases are driven by greed, but there's a lot of jealousy, um, resentment, uh, and and it ends up in, in, in a in a horrible, horrible situation for everyone involved. Do you think, like, from doing this job, like this show and, like, your past, do you think, you know, because you started by saying, like, you know, you don't really know who's amongst your group of friends. Like, do you feel you've gained skills in recognizing certain patterns just in your dealings with human beings? I keep on thinking, I don't know if I have the phrase right, but Maya Angelou used to say, would say, if you see crazy walking down the street towards you, cross the street. Right. So, uh, it's something like that. Um, and I, that's true. It's true. And what, I, what I've taught my son is another, you know, what is the other popular phrase? And again, I'm not this is not verbatim, is like people tell you who they are and you've got to believe them the first time. So um, those are the things that, that I teach him. Um, you, know, you know, unfortunately, does it make me, has my life in true crime made me a little paranoid and careful? Yeah. But I'm talking to you right now. Right. So, uh, right. No, I mean, you know, I would just think, you know, you just have to wonder, you know, like if you've developed these skills over the years. What about you? Are you nervous when you walk? I mean, it's funny because I, I'm the type of person who I am very easygoing. Like I, it's almost impossible. I don't get upset like but you know if you draw if you come at me i'm a new yorker and you're i will i will come back at you you know like if you're in my face screaming like you know i pushed you in line or something i'll scream back at you but i'm more cognizant of that now so i would say i'm way more scared like in the past year or two than i was when i was younger that you just don't know you know it's a fine line between like you want to stick up for yourself if someone starts going off on you and yet yeah this person could pull out a gun you truly just don't know 
So I'm more scared, I think, than I was in like a different world, you know, maybe five years ago, even three years ago. I feel like people are on edge a lot these days. Did you see the video of that murder-suicide in Pennsylvania over someone shoveling snow in another person's property? No, but I think I heard about this. Same. Over shoveling snow. People are just on edge. Yeah. Right. They they right. just got in a fight at like a like a neighborhood fight. Terrifying. Yeah. Right. So then that's the thing. So now it's like, I don't know. Like if you get in my face and scream at me, I'm probably just gonna walk away now. You know, like you win. I I I I I lose fine let's just move on yeah but you know like i don't walk around scared but you know it just you watch shows like killer motive and then you're like oh okay you know i don't think there's anyone that has any motive to want to off me but you just don't know you know like you said like sometimes it's over like a thousand dollars or something insane right do you watch like were you do you watch a lot of tv like yourself like are you into like the procedural you know, like SVU and like all of that. Like, are you are you a TV person? I I am to to some degree, um, but because I live it and breathe it and eat it, I I, I kind of limit myself. Right. Um, it's uh, and also it's kind of overwhelming now right um with all the streaming i i, I don't know what <laughs> happened maybe you can help me but i i, I it's so hard to uh to identify things that are worth my time because right. there's so much out there um but no there's so much good work um uh, jason blum has has done some great work in this space and I uh, and the folks, of course, at NBC and, and CBS and ABC uh, have done some great work. But it's um, to, to find unique stories that, you know, it's not just the shock value. You, you also want to say something. Right. Important. And uh, hopefully that we're achieving that with Killer Motive. And what about not to bring it, you know, before we close out, like not to bring it all the way back to Jodie Foster, but, you know, you mentioned her, like you think, like, you know, not all killers are foaming at the mouth. Like you think like Silence of the Lambs, like these people that are just so unhinged. But you're right. Like, I guess it's just, it's not that complicated. It's just people amongst her daily life. Yeah, it's... um you know what i what i find interesting is the psychology yeah that's that's what i find uh, interesting is the psychology behind it all and um and and what drives people to murder and and believe that that's the only way out or how to resolve their differences um that's what I, I I find interesting about this. I mean, let, let's be real. There's a lot of evil in this world, um, but 
what pushes someone to go to that extreme? Right. What's the motive behind it? Um, You know, for us, it's like, you know, some, some stupid slight, you just like, you know, brush it off your shoulder and move on. Yeah. And for some people, that's a motive for murder. What do you want people who watch this show, like what do you hope they take away from it? It's a good question. I I want people to try again to go back to the psychology to I, I want to take people on on a journey and it, it's not about the horrific act it's not about someone being shot it's a, it's about the the journey I'm going to lead them on the journey and try to get inside the mind of a killer and Maybe that might give some people some insight into murder. I think that's a good takeaway. When do you find out about season three? I mean, I think the show's going very well this season. Well, I don't. I don't know. It's. Uh, I would love. I would love for an additional season. I love the people at, at Oxygen and, and also at the production company and the producers and crew. I have to tell you, it was, uh, it was challenging. I mean, I've been through, I've worked through 9-11 and been arrested and have guns pointed at my head. And I've, I've been through it. Um, but this was challenging shooting uh, 10 episodes during a pandemic and everyone rose to the occasion um, and we did it. And, uh, Is this the most challenging thing you faced in your career? Co- f- filming during COVID? Um, it, it was challenging. Yes, it was challenging. I, I, I would say the most challenging, work-wise, the most challenging was uh, 9-11 because I was, I, I live in lower Manhattan and I was one of the first correspondents to be at the Twin Towers um, after the first plane flew in to the South Tower. And, wow. Um, I was there, we were waiting for a crew and the second plane flew in and I, I ran, I had to run from the towers and the crew finally arrived. And the, the thing was, what was so challenging is, is that I couldn't go home. I had to work. That was my job. Right. After like seeing people, seeing that horrible thing and people jumping from the buildings and being covered with debris. I had, my job was to work it and to cover the story. Right. And I had to continue covering the story. Like, you know, 
for days. So um, the, the thing is, though, that was, there was, we, we knew that that crisis was going to come to an end. And with the pandemic, um, it's just ongoing. So, right. That's, so, I would agree. Uh, that's challenging. Is there anything else you want to leave us with before we wrap up? Anything I haven't covered? For anyone who's listening who's not watching Killer Motive on Oxygen, they should be. It's a great freaking show. Anything uh, else you want to leave us with? I, I think it's, you know what? I, I think if, if you're really, if you have an appetite for true crime, this is the, the, the show for you. Um, it's, uh, I'll, I'll take you on a journey. Uh, that you've never been on before. I agree. I mean, I, I I agree. And to me, from someone who watches a lot of true crime shows, this is, I think this is different than anything I've seen. So I'm loving it. I will keep watching. I think everyone listening should keep watching. You do feel like you're going on a journey. And I think you just, you learn more about what's going on in people's minds. It's a great show. David, thank you so much. You're great. Thank you for taking your time. Enjoy your time in and we will speak soon. Thank you so much. Where can everyone find you online? I think you're best on Twitter. You're easiest found on, on Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. I, I'm a little allergic to social media, but, um, there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. <laughs> I don't, I, you know, it's so dangerous. It's like one word and I know, I agree. I have a glass of Cabernet and like, so I just step away. Stay in my lane. I don't blame you. Well, thank you so much. Everyone should follow you on Twitter and keep in touch. And I will be watching. Thank you so much. Thank you, David. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review. Because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones. And the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're Behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon, because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.